As Napoleon Hill said, true success is only achieved with the power of harmonious coordination of minds working to a definitive end. On Agent Wealth Network Live, you'll join Dr. Hank, the change maker in real estate, for live conversations with an elite group of real estate experts, including coaches, authors, sales trainers, and successful agents and brokers, from up-and-comers to mega-producers. You'll come away with mindset, lead generation, and wealth-building strategies that will change your business while building a life of joy and fulfillment. And now, here's your host, Dr. Hank. Well, hello, everybody. It's Dr. Hank here, and welcome to Agents Wealth Network. You know, what we do is we help agents to, to grow their business, to grow their wealth. But really, what we help agents do is to have a happier life. And for everybody, for not only the agents, but their families. And this is the holiday season. And I wanted to invite a very special guest, a uh, kind of known around the U.S. America for his podcast, for his focus on work and life and play. And he's just a good, good, kind man. And this is going to be so uplifting and be able to help all of us to have a better holiday season and a better 2019 because of the perspective that we have from Aaron McHugh. Aaron, hello. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. That's a great intro. I'll take that. I want to listen to that guy, whoever he is. <laughs> you bet. Yeah. And Patrick, uh, Aaron is uh, knows uh, some real estate people like Patrick Lilly, who I've had on my show and you speaking in front of real estate groups and so can you tell us a little Aaron about uh, where, where this work life play like how you kind of got into it and then obviously we'll talk about it and how it'll be able to uplift us all of us but can you kind of give us a, a brief background of uh, how you got into all of this and how you were there to be able to really I mean I know you just love to connect with people I asked you before the show hey what would you like to get out of it and you said you know i just want to connect more with you know in this case with me because we're talking and now with us our our audience so with that kindness with that uh connectivity and and like you also said before the show uh that you want to uh, be around people attract people that think about meaningful things so can you tell us kind of where you how did you get to that point about being able to think about meaningful things yeah, great question. Um, what I found many, many years ago, let's just say, call it 10, I was living very compartmentalized. And the way I was attempting to make my work, life work and my career work and was I just kind of put things in buckets. Yeah. And so it was like, okay, when I go to work, you know, I tell my wife, hey, could you, could you not call me very often? Because when I'm at work, I'm at work. And then when I'm at home, okay, I'm trying not to work. And then Play to me was has always been something that I've just I've loved and play can look like bocce ball in the backyard or it can look like making a cup of coffee in the tailgate of my truck or going for a run with some buddies or whatever play can look like. I love adventure. And yeah. so I just found that I was very unsuccessful in my happy meter being high because <laughs> I was always it always felt like I was behind in each of the buckets of I was behind relationally or in life or I was behind in work. And so this idea of obtaining balance to me, I found personally very frustrating. Mm -hmm. And then I found it was just, to me, it just like this uh, 
teeter-totter. And somehow that you're on one end, I'm on the other, and we're supposed to find this perfect medium in the middle. And I was like, that, that's just my life. I don't experience my life that way. And so one day I was asking a friend about, hey, what is it you think I do when I started writing and doing some podcast work? He goes, I think it's just work-life play, but no periods, no commas, no hyphens, like the, like a triune, you know, the trinity of uh, this rhythm that we find in life where our work and our life and our play, kind of this art of living, all exists all the time. And so I, I call work-life play this grand life experiment I'm running every day, which is to find ways to connect at a human level, to live a life grounded in spiritual things, to find ways to be adventurous and play. And it might be playing hopscotch on the curb on my way to a business meeting or, um, and I work, I'm headed you know, on an airplane here shortly and I'll be gone till Thursday and client meetings, you know, three different cities. So it, yeah. it's all trying to find my own way to make a meaningful life. Wow, I just love that, that, um, uh, you know, and my audience knows, and I'm gonna re remind my audience again, take notes on this because, uh, you know, I'm a mental scientist, that's where the Dr. Hank comes in, if you will, and for us to really be able to internalize this information, and so a couple of notes that I took, because I just love this thought about the happy meter <laughs> and the air. Right. It's just great. And so for all of us to think about um, how can we enhance our, our happy meter, if you will, because really the whole reason why we're here for all of us is to feel better. And so feel better, another word for that is happy. And so when you're happy, you actually align up with your source, God, the universe, whatever word you want, because we actually have a communication system within us. And so when we feel bad, it means that our source, our soul, higher self, God, that when we feel bad, it means we're not thinking about this situation or uh, topic or uh, circumstance the way that God is. Whereas when we're feeling good and have that happy meter on high, yeah, yeah. Means we're aligned to it. And, and when we're aligned to it, kind of seeing through like, uh, uh, as Christians would say, seeing the world through Christ's eyes, that, you know, it's just such a remarkable, beautiful world out there. So I love that happy meter. Yeah. And Aaron, how do we, how do we increase that happy meter? <laughs> yeah, good question. Um, live experiments I'm running these days. So one of the things that I, I do is I start, I really am a firm believer in rhythms, repeatable, sustainable rhythms. And so for me, I start each day with my rhythm is I wake up, um, I'm no email, no cell phone. You know, first thing I go straight to a French press cup of coffee. Um, and then even this last week I was in Boulder for work and I actually was able to drive there. So I brought my French press with me. So coffee and I sit in a chair and usually just pray, uh, meditate, and maybe throw in some sort of physical activity. So I might have as little as 20 minutes to do all that. I might have an hour to do all that. But I really believe in, I, I've heard this phrase of this idea of like kind of in order to win the day, you got to win the first moments. And so I really start with what do I want when reminding my heart and my soul about what matters to me most and less about 
pulling up in my calendar and trying to plan out specifically what's going to happen, but just really grounding myself in what matters to me and starting with that's my people at home, my family, you know, the, the way I want to show up and work. And what I find a lot of times is that a good friend of mine, I was on a surfing trip with him about two years ago and we were in the truck and he said, you know, I think it's not, people aren't dissatisfied so much with what they do. It's how they're doing it. And so he said, if you can help them evaluate how they're doing it and do it in a new way. And so I just find this idea of what a mentor taught me about two degree shifts. If there's ways we can make just subtle, tiny adjustments, then, and that might be in winning the first five minutes. So yeah. what I like to think of is that when we can make subtle shifts, then when I think of this happy meter, Last week when I was in Boulder with, with clients, we talked about the difference between destination and directional setting. And that destination, when we put something out there is this is the arrived destination I want to be, it's oftentimes frustrating and disappointing. It takes too long. It's not the road we thought it would be. But when we look at directionally setting our compass in these subtle two degree shifts and saying, man, I would love to have more connection with the people that I love. Well, a guy that I was with last week, he told us a story about before he came into the, the workshop, he had made a call to his 86 year old grandmother that morning and had a beautiful conversation with her. And so directionally, he made a tilt towards the very thing he wanted. So back to your question, his happy meter was higher. So I find those little subtle things are the things that can make the difference in a day. I just have God bumps all over me. Yeah, right yeah, right. Most people call goosebumps, but I call a guy. I love that destination versus direction. And, uh, you know, to be able for us to be able to identify yeah, what's, uh, what we do want. Uh, but then, like you say, just as two degrees, and I like that two degrees, it's one step at a time. I was just in uh, Egypt and uh, just got back like yesterday mm -hmm. and we were there for a couple of weeks and uh, you know the big pyramids are the ones that all of us see and admire and you know it's really incredible that these huge rocks that were cut out of the mountains and to build this um, uh, these pyramids and they couldn't we still can't figure out for sure how they move that how they right. got to it right. the direction that it is all three are lined up exactly to the stars I mean, there's just really some incredible things, which actually tells us that the intelligence of man has been superior uh, throughout the ages. And yes. so those pyramids are, you know, this is up to 5,000 years old, and they're still standing. In fact, the seven wonders of the world, there's only one still remaining, and it's the pyramids. Mm. And so, uh, but the reason why I bring that up is, before we went and saw the big pyramids, we went to what they call the step pyramids. And what that was, it was the first that we have found so far, the first pyramids that they started to build. So initially, the vision wasn't these three magnificent, tall standing, live forever uh, pyramids. Instead, it was these small pyramids and they were maybe, um, you know, like 30 feet high instead of, I yeah. don't know, you know, 300 feet, they don't yeah. hold it. And so they started and it wasn't very even and it wasn't, 
uh, you know, uh, symmetrical. That and, and so you could tell that it's just one step at a time, and it's like this very true. You're speaking of that, you know, the pyramids weren't just just built on, hey, I had this idea of the big pyramids. It was more on, hey, let's do something a little bit different to honor our pharaohs, you know, the people we honor, whatever could be in our lives, our family members. And how do we honor them when they transition back into the non-physical? And uh, there's none of us intended to stay here forever. And uh, so we just wanted to have a fun trip and probably come back for a few more fun trips or lots of fun trips, whatever the case may be. And so I love this idea of two two degrees and the examples that you had. You know, you had, uh, and do you have any comments on that? Any, any? No, I just love, I think that's a great, because then as you're saying, you, the, what you're describing, what I hear, Dr. Hank, is that they created a prototype right. that was kind of clunky and imperfect. <laughs> right. Yeah. And they built upon that, and that is a great analogy for our life, that our life isn't going to look like the finish of, in the beginning, it may not look like the pyramids. It's going to look really clunky. Yeah. Uh, not true, you know, in terms of coordinates and uh, stacking of stones, but that's the point is to run small experiments daily yeah. in the direction we want to head. And then over time, that actually becomes what the way we live. So for this work-life play rhythm that I found, it's so bumpy and imperfect. However, 10 years forward from where I started, it's so much better than I ever imagined it would be. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. And um, so can you tell us more about this work-life play then that uh, I, I'll tell you out of the three, um, I, 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 out of those three words, the one that I like most, and those that know me, it's play. Nice. Good. <laughs> and well, I, no wonder I, we get along. <laughs> and uh, and I have actually eliminated the word work because now you say it in a soft, kind tone, work. But most people are like, oh, I got to go to work, and mm -hmm. like it's a low vibrational one. But you have it to where it flows to work, life, play. So you can tell us a little about. How is this and how do you help people in order to have this better balance, this better life to increase their happy needs? Yeah. Well, I really believe that we're all here, and I mean here like in our life, to do something. We're, yeah. we're supposed to, we're each entrusted with, invited into something we're here to do. And that something doesn't necessarily mean building pyramids that'll last 5,000 years. It might mean being a really great mom and a really great engaged dad, raising some great kids. and um, it, But I really believe that behind it all, there is an invitation for us to embrace what we're here to do and that a lot of the journey and the mystery is finding out what that is. And there isn't one perfect answer. There's probably 10. But I find that a lot of people in my decades of going to work and living to pe with people, I just found this like fascinating glaze over so many people's eyes mm. of just this kind of settled into the humdrum of life and downshifted into this good enough state and talk about, well, as long as I can make it to retirement, I just couldn't get my head around it. You know, as long as I get there two weeks a year and maybe they'll travel when they're retired in an RV and see their grandkids, but until then they're just trying to survive their life. And I just thought, I, I don't get it. And a lot of that was driven in fairness to, we had some pretty intense circumstances too. Our 
our middle daughter was born without all of her brain. So wow. when I was a 26-year-old kid, uh, she was diagnosed with cerebral palsy and seizure disorders, and she was wheelchair-bound her whole life. And yeah, she was 24-hour care um, all day long. And so she was our middle kid, and we had this, here I am, this young kid raising kids, and all of a sudden we have this major, major, major circumstance in our life. And so I really never got, I always kind of wanted the easy pass in life, like how can I get the easy normal thing that my neighbor has? Yeah. And for some reason I ended up with this other thing that where I couldn't, things like a door ding on my car, like it just, that was never on my radar of important things in life. It was more like, can we keep our daughter alive? And can we keep our family and our marriage together? And can we earn enough money to keep this boat afloat? So in all those years, that was where it became, I became really micro-focused on how can I keep my happy meter high? Yeah. And so silly things like, let's play music in the house. Let's, my daughter, uh, second daughter, when she was little, she asked if she could ride her scooter inside. And we had hardwood floors and we're like, I don't know, you're not supposed, supposed to ride scooters inside, but sure. Yeah, let's do it. We could use some happy around here. So her and her friends would like make loops through the kitchen in the, um, and our middle daughter who was, um, alive at the time, she had oxygen on this big machine and these tubes going throughout the house. They would make jumps over the oxygen cables going through the house. And, and we just thought, let's, you know what? We don't always get a chance to choose the story we find ourselves in. Yeah. But we each have an opportunity to choose how we live in the story we find ourselves in. And that, to me, became really important because I just didn't want to roll over and play dead and become a victim. I wanted to be cause for my life to become the life that I really believe that I'm here to lead, which then became, as I found a deeper journey in my own life, then I just started talking about it and work-life play became my mechanism. Nobody you know, wrote me and said, hey, you should do this. Nobody gave me a permission slip. Nobody gave me, paid me to do it. Like, I just was compelled to, I have something to say and I don't, I gotta get this out. And it became through podcasts and interviews and books and things, my way of trying to describe this human experience that we're all having and then this way of living sustainably to move the happy meter high. So tell me a little about each one of those set as areas yeah. of work. So um, what's, what's the definition and meaning and how, what's some tips that we can be? Because, uh, you know, again, I'll, I'm going to bow to the, the work and, and use that word. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and because like I really say is, you know, I just play all the time and I don't work, but I understand what you mean that, um, you know, as, as far as the living or whatever, but it, it's more like for you and I, it's our passion. And so, you yeah. know, it doesn't become homework, but there are, you know, millions of people that are working for somebody, have a boss, you know, whatever the case be. So can you share with us a little first about all about work and with us real estate agents that we really are in a situation where we, we have no boss, if you will, but at the same time that, you know, it's challenging to discipline ourselves to do the work because mm -hmm. of, you know, the other things. So what are your thoughts on work and how can that help us to be more effective and have more of that balance? 
Yeah, let me read you a quote, and I think, Dr. Hank, this will resonate with you also and right. give maybe a little description behind my, you know, lightness about the, the term work. It's by James Meekner, and it's called the, the Mastering the Art of Living. So the master in the art of living makes little distinction between his work and his play, his labor and his leisure, his mind and his body, his information and his recreation his love and his religion. He hardly knows which is which. He simply pursues his vision of excellence at whatever he does, leaving others to decide whether he is working or playing. To him, he's always doing both. So I saw that on framed in a friend of mine's house in Hawaii on the Big Island. And he was a big real estate development act, developer, actually. So in real estate, his whole career. And he fascinated me because he worked a lot in terms of what I perceived to be work. Yeah. But he was masterful at play. And he would surf and we'd go to the beach. And he, I was, I'm a runner and a triathlete. And he had asked me once, he said, when do you leave your watch behind? I looked at him like, never. Why would I ever go for a run without a watch? He goes, when, when do you just play? I, I, don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. I, it's all programmed and it's all scheduled. And he goes, no, 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 no. And so I looked at this quote in his house and it was actually his master bathroom. And I realized, oh, that's a totally different game. So for me, work is about more about finding the way, it's, it's the venue in which we find our unique contribution. And to me, it's very artistic. So art, it, using art as a metaphor for the causation of what I get to do. So today I'll get on an airplane, I'll fly to San Francisco, and this week I'll be with clients um, talking about how we show up at work as humans. That's become my work. Well, originally my work was, I was selling radio ads 20 years ago, and then it was software, and then it was this, and then it was that. So I always found that work, was the vocation of work, was different than the spirit of work, of how I show up and what I'm infusing this with. And so for me, the undergirding of work was always people and art and creativity. In some way, how can I create something here? What can I do to put my signature on this, whatever it is. And then in life, I find so many people in work aim to hit a home run in work because they just want to crush it and make a bunch of money. And I've been around a lot of people with a lot of money and a lot of people that have crushed it and a lot of people that haven't. But I found that this oddity of hitting a home run at work, but failing in every other area of your life, to me was a, uh, a no-fly zone. I'm not doing it. Um, just, I just refuse to tell my family, well, hey, I know I'm miserable to be around, um, but hey, look at all the money we have in the bank and look at the great vacations we take. So I thought, well, what if what if you could actually, I don't like, even like the word crush it, what if you could help hit a home run yeah. in life too? What if you're like relationally, you actually have friendships that you invest in regularly. You have friends you could call on a bad day. You could have friends you could go fly fishing with or ride a bike with or go to Egypt with. And not wait till the end of our life to develop those, but invest in those regularly. And then relationally at home. And then I use life as that catch-all bucket. 
for relationships and finances and health and wellness and spiritual well-being and just but really as a holistic view yeah. and then play is oftentimes what i find especially men they leave play behind as i did for something for younger boys or their activities become another just competition or it's another like i was with a, a watch men running and so I just found like, whoa, what if you could have a light touch on play? Like, what if I could be a 46-year-old man, but still be like this guy on my, I'll pull this picture down, uh, this guy that I used to be when I was 22 on my first job. And I used to drive a cattle truck for work. <laughs> yeah, and great. yeah, the, my smile on this picture is so huge. So I thought... I think I actually want to become younger as I become older yeah. and find ways, like Meekner says, to let other people guess and try and make the distinction of what I'm up to and instead yeah. just find ways that I can live more true to who I am and not let work be a burdensome thing, but let it become a joyful thing. Now, that's been back to that 10-year journey. I've probably been on that journey for 15 years. And I'm now at doing some work that is like, an, oh, wow, I cannot believe I get to do this. Yeah. But that took believing in this true north position, going back to compass idea of staying on that true north path, despite all the evidence and circumstance that was presenting itself to the contrary. But just knowing that this is actually what we're here to do, each of us, and it looks different for all of us. So I don't view it as a prescription of destination but more of as an invitation for making these tilts and adjustments directionally that is just awesome uh aaron that uh so many things and again i hope all of us are writing notes i have like three pages of notes already in, <laughs> in this short uh time but a few uh comments on that that uh i love like just the the idea of a vision of excellence and then uh, to be a master at play and leaving your watch behind. That's just a great one, you know, yeah. on, on that. Changing your game and, and, you know, looking at how to change your game. And really, you know, I think it, 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 it's just sounding as for all of us to just start relaxing and being more at ease and finding who you really are because all of us, these magnificent creators yes. and that we have the power with our mind to mold the energy that creates worlds into manifesting itself here in this glorious life and but because when we get tense that we're never going to get that because mm. we we actually slow it down and that's our resistance and um uh and then i like this idea about how you're going to show up and show up at work and really at life and you know at play how are you going to show up and um uh and then this idea of no fly zone and you know where i um all of us are attractors this is not a world of insertion you don't insert anything into this world what we do is we attract it in so everything that happens to us happens for actually a reason that normally our smaller minds can't comprehend but uh, this contrast that we have in our lives for example with your your daughter that um that contrast has really deepened your heart and your feelings and 
uh, give me depth of feeling was what Scrooge asked, uh, you know, after he mm. saw the, yeah. the three, he, you know, he pleaded, he said, please give me depth of feeling. And for all of us, this holiday season, mm. to have this depth of feeling and to know that even your daughter, and I feel her presence now, that, you know, she's not gone. She's yeah. eternal. We're all yeah. eternal. And Absolutely. so she's with you and actually she's Thank this you. beautiful angel that can you know guide you and now me so yeah <laughs> right on yeah <laughs> well good i'm glad that uh I'm glad it's resonating with you I, one thing i'm i'm aware of as we're talking dr hank is it'd be maybe helpful to give people some practical specifics okay right because a lot of times when they hear this they're like whoa okay yeah but where how do i do this so right um let me give an example so one of the things i started doing years ago to live a more integrated life was in in any day as I started carrying in the back of my trunk this thing I call it a joy bucket okay. and it's kind of got some of my favorite things in it and one of them was like an extra pair of shoes extra pair of socks um, a headlamp uh, a stove I can make coffee with I live in Colorado so you know that's not uh, it wouldn't be abnormal here and what yeah. would happen is I'd be on my way home driving sitting in traffic you know be Instead of 25 minutes, it was 45 minutes to an hour, and I'd find myself super frustrated. And so I had already done the thing where you turn your car into a learning place and you listen to audiobooks, and you know I'd, I'd done that for 10 years. And I'm like, I'm still frustrated by the fact that I'm sitting in traffic. Right. So I would pull over, take the next exit, put on my running shoes, and go for a 10-minute walk or a 30-minute run. Wow. And let all of that traffic subside. And then I'd get back in my car. I was home 10 minutes later, or maybe even the same time that I would have been had I sat in traffic. And I, but I started living differently in the moment. And so I realized, like, for me, physical activity is a really big thing. And being outside is a really big thing. Well, I was frustrated by, look how many days I worked in a row. Look how many hours I was unavailable to do the things I want to do. And so I started staging my life with this joy bucket as an example to say, impromptu i don't want the i don't want my inability to go have a 10 minute walk or a yeah. 20 minute run or something to be the fact that i don't have shoes so i'll stage it in anticipation of moments are going to happen where i can on the fly jump in and have more of the life i want and then things like in in work you know what i would start doing was like asking questions of okay I know this is what we need to do. Like, here's what we have to get done for this customer or this day or whatever it was. But I'd, I'd say, hey, what if, what if we leave the computers behind and we go for a walk for our meeting? And I was like, well, I'm in charge. So I don't know if this is a good idea or not, but let's try it. And so we, yeah, just leave your notebooks behind. And this is not one of those like taking notes meetings. So let's just go to this trail. It's two minutes from the office and we'll ride together. We'll get a cup of coffee and then we'll spend 30 minutes talking about it. And all of a sudden, then the meeting dynamics changed. The hierarchy of who's in charge and who's not changed. The personal connection enhanced. And so I started thinking like, wow, okay, how could we really like play with this work thing? And so I just started making it like, oh, you know what? I really want to go fishing. Well, I can't ever go fishing. I'm like, oh, bet I can. Five o'clock in the morning. I bet I could leave the house and there's a stream that goes through a park that was near my office at the time that nobody fished. And it turned out later I found out it was illegal. But I had a great time pulling these little four-inch brook trout out of it. 
by the time I'd roll up in my office at 7.30 in the morning. And then all of a sudden I wouldn't wash my hands so that later in the day I could just smell the fish on my fingers while I was in some miserable meeting I didn't want to be in. But then all of a sudden it changed the way I showed up yeah. to do the work. And then what was crazy to me was I started engaging those environments differently as a different person because of these minim micro experiments I was running all the time. And then yeah. it kind of, they built upon themselves. And then so when I was in a meeting that was kind of miserable, I just think, <laughs> you know, this is not the, this is not the whole of my story. I just got out fishing this morning or I'm going to catch coffee in my trunk of my car. And then it started changing the way I worked and that then it gave me this kind of causation creation idea while I'm at work. And it started changing the way I led, the way I worked with customers, the more human I was about just being honest. So like, yeah, this is what I love to do. So those are the ways that I just see it changing and the calling your grandmother. You know, if you want more intimacy and connection, well, you actually have to do something different. It has to be a behavioral shift, which can be as simple as making a phone call to a buddy. You bet, you bet. Yeah, like I um, <clears throat> always try to maintain a relationship, uh, a, a deep, meaningful relationship with all family members. But just like last night that I ended up being on the phone to I have three children, too, and, and my middle son. And so I ended up being on the phone with him for over an hour. And I had all kinds of other stuff, if you will, to do. But, you know, we all think we're in a hurry. And if we just slow down, what you're teaching us here is really slow down to smell the flowers, if you will. And those yeah. flowers might be fishing or <laughs> right. coffee or, you know, right. whatever the case be. But as we slow and what we do when we slow, we get into the flow. Yes. And as we flow into life, that then we really can start appreciating the beauty of this life. And that really what we have done is I call it a committee in our head. There's this a little committee in there. Imagine that they're in this beautiful mahogany table sitting with executive chairs and there's worry and fear and false evidence appearing real, real yes, and yes. doubt and blame and shame and guilt. And, you know, all these little fellas are up there and they, they try to take over. So if there's any devil, this is the devil. And that what you do is you just go, bye-bye. <laughs> and yeah. say, you know, let them go and just say, you know what? There isn't this hurry. And I don't have with traffic i love your example the traffic but it's this idea you know it's that two percent degree and now you're making it very practical on how you can do it and and it just asked like like so you know people some viewers maybe say, you know, well, but, you know, I don't have a place to go fish or whatever. That's not the point. The point is all you really need to do is start asking, what can I do in this moment right now that would be more fun and mm -hmm. would be more playful? And as you ask, the more that you ask, the more that you're going to get answers. And it's really God, if you will, talking to us in our thoughts. And so we then are attracting these better thoughts and these thoughts that make our hearts sing Absolutely. and when your your heart is singing then you know you're you're happy there so it kind of it really sounds like the work-life play ends up being a lot of fun <laughs> it is a lot of fun it is yeah and it's it's a um going back to our loosely held definition of work it's also a lot of work in terms of creativity and the thing that I've noticed that's most helpful for our friends that are listening, watching, is to really think about two questions. When you first started your career, 
what was different then than how you approach it today. And a lot of us, what happens is that the, the spirit of wonder maybe not disappears, but it gets muted or gets covered up behind words like duty, responsibility, or things like we think we're a big deal, you know, and we are really proud of, of ourself. And so we stopped doing all these things that was the very reason we started doing real estate in this case. Right. So I would ask like, okay, so what was it that in the beginning, how did you view clients? What was your, what was your idea about who you really wanted to help? So you put all the noise to the side about how things are challenging and, you know, maybe all the people that work for you and what it's like to be a broker and running an office, interest rates, like, but you put all that aside. In the beginning, that really wasn't part of the story. It was probably a lot about some deeper thing. Hey, I want to help people. Yeah. Or I want to, I want to be with people helping them live into a dream they have. Small, medium, large, gigantic home didn't matter. It was just some, but there was some deeper thing that you were rooted in. Well, later it became about income and zeros and, but that stuff's actually not the thing that gets us out of the bed, out of bed every day. Right. And then the other thing too, that I think is really helpful is to, when we begin to look at our life, like you just came back from Egypt and you had this wonder and excitement from visiting all these brand new, fascinating things. Yeah. Well, it turns out every single place we live, all of us. There's something really interesting that if you were there on vacation, if I went to your town and came to see you, Dr. Hank, on vacation, I would be wowed at the stuff that's in your backyard. Right, right. It's true for all of us. And so I find that when we approach our life that way, or even the places that we live that way, with a sense of curiosity. So for instance, there was this money museum that's like coins and dollars and cents, you know, from uh, Aztecs, you know, forward through civil war, through whatever. Yeah. And I passed it for 21 years. I drove by it and I finally said, you know what, I'm going to stop and go in this thing because I'm going to start being curious about, instead of saying the place I live is lame or boring, or there's nothing fun to do or whatever, all those fill in the blank statements. Right. I said, what if I approach my life differently with, if I was here on vacation, what would I do? What would I go see? I've, I've visited some of the quirkiest museums now in my town, but it's been super fun. And so all of a sudden then that's translated into how I live when I go other places or how I interact with other people is being, how can I be curious? Because in that curiosity is that joy meter starts moving up again. And so just that doesn't, you know, again, back to maybe um, play looks different. Well, play can be going to listen to some music. It can be, you know, driving on a drive on a road you've never been on. It doesn't have, it could be anything you imagine that makes your heart come alive, but it isn't okay for us to just phone it in for the next 40 years until the end, until some fictitious place where we're going to be happy. It turns out purpose and meaning is something we have to seed into our life every day. 